0: Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien.
1: Hello and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association, coming to you from the Quandel Studio right here in good old central Pennsylvania. Joined, as always, by the best Chris Martin, I know way better than 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 Coldplay, way better than any singer out there. This Chris Martin is the real deal. Chris Martin, how's it going today?
0: <laughs> All right, John, and, and right back at you. You're the, you're the best, John O'Brien, I know. Uh, <laughs> no. um, the best O'Brien. Huh? Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I am Chris Martin, the uh, the one that is not in Coldplay, and I am located in the Stalwart insurance group studio on the left of the state. And uh, we have a really, really timely and uh what I will say, fantastic topic today. What do you think, John? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's uh yeah. extra special for me. Uh, as you know, this is audio only, not visual. But for us, it's visual while we're talking. So I, I get to see my old friend, Mark Mondor. I haven't seen since COVID. You, you made a few trips to Harrisburg. But uh regardless, let me get back to the intro here. So ladies and gentlemen i am extremely excited to have my friend mark mondor on uh today's show we're talking sustainable design he's an industry leader in this area and it's awesome that the building pa podcast can uh have a great conversation with with mark mondor so without further ado i'd like to welcome mark mondor from evolve ea welcome mark
2: thanks john thanks chris it's uh it's great to be here and uh excited to be speaking about this topic with you.
1: So who is Mark Mondor? Let's, let's jump right in and do a <laughs> quick little intro here. And...
2: Mark Mondor, um, I am an architect and uh, I have a firm called Evolve EA, Evolved Environment Architecture. We're headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but we have a national reach at this point. Um, but our firm, uh, we've been around for close to 20 years and we, we focus on uh, green building and sustainability consulting and design. So a lot of that work uh, deals specifically with the built environment and um, it's really uh, aimed towards um, having projects that have a lesser lighter environmental impact and uh, how that creates a lot of good for project teams for building owners for building users for and if you want to extrapolate from that for the communities for the planet and so uh, there's there's a lot of good common sense uh um, lessons learned that we we're very pleased to share with you and, and your audience
1: are thrilled talking about sustainable design we don't do enough of that on the building pa podcast so this is hopefully starting a new trend here you're you're a you're a pioneer mark so welcome <laughs> welcome chris um i know you're far away with a lot of questions i see your the smoke coming from your head here so <laughs> <laughs> in between
0: all those uh, hair follicles yes yes <laughs> mark it- so so that we can all be on the same page, and, and I know that a lot of our listeners and everybody has this different perspective on what is sustainability. Can you
2: kind of help kind of set that benchmark a little bit for us just in the conversation? Uh, certainly. Uh, I mean, sustainability is one of those words that is, is almost overused and, and certainly used many times more than it was just a few decades ago. Uh, in this context, when uh, we're talking about sustainability, uh, what we prefer to use is the triple bottom line of sustainability, which is that the decisions we make are are good for the people, they're good for the environment, and they make economic financial sense. So it's like the three E's, if you will, of economy, ecology, and equity. And so, uh, you know, with regards to the built environment, you know, what we're talking about is is making spaces, buildings, campuses, communities. Um, that uh, have a a lighter environmental impact that are maybe more thoughtful, save resources, uh, make better use of land. They're also good for the people who inhabit and come across it. It's uh, more visually uh, uh, intriguing, uh, better quality of air, uh, so healthier um, and more walkable and uh, lower CO2, lower emissions, things like that. And also, um, you know, um, for the environment you know, using um, less resources. Oh, sorry, the 30 would be uh, you know, economic uh, is that a lot of sustainability measures make economic sense. We have to look at them as investments, if you will. Um, you know, even if they cost a little more upfront, the idea is that they're lessening the operating costs. Whether it's by resources uh, efficiency or whether it's by increased productivity by the people who who are using the building.
0: So in my, uh, I'm sorry, Chris. I was going to say I don't think I could have ever explained it to that level. So thank you. He's awesome. He (laughs) is. (laughs) We're talking to the right guy. That's for sure. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. In my in my previous life, you know, I, I. used to live in Pittsburgh and, and work at the master builders and they had an annual awards ceremony where they, they recognize a lot of uh, notable projects in the Western PA area. And it seemed like you and your firm are always somehow associated with a lot of those sustainable designs and of those sustainable projects. Um, over the years, any notable projects that, that come to your
2: mind? Yeah, uh, thanks, uh, John. We we try. Um, yeah, and, and before I answer that, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you and I have you know worked co- collaboratively when I was president of the American Institute of Architects and uh, with our, our committee on the environment, which which I'm very proud of. So yeah, it's it's been a, a long you know back and forth. Uh, projects we're proud of. Uh, gosh, that's a good question. You know, it, it's like you know. Your kids, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we have over a hundred uh, certifications under our belt at this point, um, so we've we've been at but I guess I might want to answer that in terms of you know, some of the more intriguing ones. Perhaps uh, you know, we we uh, did uh, a project in, in Egypt that ended up being the first lead certification in Africa for a global processing center for HSBC. So that was interesting because. We really moved the needle, you know, a lot on that that project. Um, another one is the David Lawrence Convention Center, which was a large project, and uh, we helped them a lot with their operational goals, uh, and that's that's been an ongoing thing. Um, U.S. Steel Tower, which is the biggest skyscraper in, in, in the region, um, you know, we've been working with them for about ten years on uh, just increasing how well they operate that building from. Uh, um, you know, some of the tenants inside who have gotten lead certifications to the uh, building itself, which has lead for existing building certification, well certification. We started a tenant sustainability committee for that entire building, which is great because how often do you get landlord and tenants together in the same room where there aren't lawyers and brokers involved? Instead, it's a, it's a good discussion of, of sustainability initiatives. And uh, you know, UPMC, we've done a lot of work with where we, what we call a sort of staircase diagram, where we just with every project we learn and we go on to the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and, and each one improves as we go. Giant Eagle also is an early client of ours, a you know, big supermarket chain with over 200 stores, and that was very much the, a similar type of staircase um, engagement, where with every project we took the lessons that worked, applied them to the next one. And uh, the lessons, uh, you know, the things that didn't work, uh, we left behind, but at least we knew why. And so that type of deliberative process with, with a portfolio owner has really been helpful in, in terms of pushing along the entire enterprise.
0: So one of the things that I've seen in just preparing for this conversation is that, you know, you you it mentioned in your bio that you studied in Scandinavia and i and I, i'm not trying to take us off topic i'm certainly not going to do that but can you tell us a little bit about the difference between sustainability in north america versus sustainability in europe and is there a is there a big
2: big gap in terms of the approach Um, That's a good question. Um, You know, uh, both, you know, uh, American construction and and European construction, I I would say, are are pretty well sophisticated. I I think, you know, if if I had to generalize a little bit, uh, I think the key word for American construction is expediency. It's about speed to market and it's about getting things done quickly. Whereas uh, sometimes, uh, you know, in Europe, some of the uh, owner goals are, um, you know, have, have more of a longer time horizon, and there's a little more patience for a little more exploration up front with the understanding that if you're working in a village that's, you know been uh, a village for 600 years, that you are not necessarily going to look to put up a quick building and quickly sell it. Uh, rather, you're going to look to build something that really has a you know, durable durability And you're looking at a 100-year horizon. And this is even in poor European countries. We've seen them use just really good materials, really good timbers, uh, just because they're not going to take shortcuts. Um, The the other observation I would make about Europe is that, um, you know, it's more compact, energy costs more. And so when you have that kind of mindset, you you don't just think, okay, just take it all the way to the dump or the landfill, because that landfill is probably against something else. There is no there there. And likewise, energy costs a lot more there. So uh, the energy efficiency measures have a much faster return on investment. So some things like that have just raised to a larger consciousness in terms of the impact that, that buildings have. If I had to draw a couple comparisons, it would be those.
1: Well, you've been a uh, leader in, in sustainable design for a long time now, back in the early GBA, Green Building Alliance. And, um, you know, how has kind of over the years the, the owner goals changed and how the challenges changed? I mean, you you named... You know, Giant Eagle, I can't imagine them thinking about this 20 years ago and USDU and UPMC and, you know, how has that evolved with you had evolved? So, so. Yeah, um,
2: yeah, no, it's a good question. Yeah. Um, I, I'm happy to say that there's a lot more um, interest and in conversation, which means that, you know, some of this terminology is more and more commonplace. Uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if you said you were doing energy efficiency or an energy model or lead certification, Ah, uh, people might not know what you mean. Uh, but now you can go most anywhere. and if you're talking about lead certification, people do e- even you know in, in um, even far in the countryside, you know most everybody knows what what that means. And, and what that means is that you're able to have a conversation about these things and and uh, you know kind of scaffold on on the thinking. So, you know, lead is something that's more, much more common. Um, you know, indoor air quality has become much more common in the last decade. People are aware; they know what VOC, volatile organic compounds, are. They're, they're more aware of the quality of views and things like that. Even carbon, we didn't really talk about a whole lot ten years, and now there are a lot of institutions have carbon goals. Uh, you know, getting to net zero. You know. So um in general yeah John um there's there's a lot more sophistication and you know what what I've found in my um you know from my experience is that you have certain places um you know certain institutional owners municipalities that really almost can't be green enough they want climate action plans they want net zero they want to hit 2030 goals they want to do all of these things um, and, and what that does is it, it drives uh, innovation forward because when you have successful models, everybody can relate to that. And, and so some organizations specifically want to, to do things as a sort of proof of concept that um, others can kind of learn from. You know, I mentioned the convention center a little while back. That's a perfect example where they want to be a model. For others to to follow.
0: And, and to your point, Mark, you know, as you were saying that at the beginning, people are more aware of it. And in my head, one of the very first lead projects that I even that I got around was the convention center. So like like in my head, that's like kind of the bar. Um, but to, to take to take what you just said a little bit further, you, you you know, you mentioned indoor indoor air quality and what is the trend coming out of COVID? That has that becoming such a big topic. I, I know talking to other folks that have you know bigger offices and, and, and a lot more people coming back to the uh, to offices. Uh, how does that play into design
2: and, and what are you doing to help kind of push that forward? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it goes right in line with people getting much more awareness. You know, suddenly it, it's a matter of life and death of you know, being aware of air quality and, and pollutants and contamination. And, you know, in the early days of COVID, we we thought we could get it just from touching an object that somebody else had touched. And, you know, as, as time went on, we, we got a little more you know, certainty about those things. But we know it's an airborne virus that can be spread from one person to the next. And so we wear masks and, you know, we're vaccinated. So, you know, these, these things all help. But some of the remnants of that are that you know people want more space or need more space, if you will. So there's a little yeah. bit more di- dilution. Uh, there's also greater filtration in, in office uh, buildings or any building, really. Where um, you know you're able to use finer filters that catch more particulates, and so that's able to uh, spores can can get become captured. You've also got things like ultraviolet germicidal irradiation within those air handling units that can actually kill um, viruses. Mm-hmm. And so, when you add these things together, you're able to uh, you know, create a more a safer environment. Add to that the advent of you know remote working and, and uh, shifted uh, phase times in the office, where you you know you're kind of avoiding a density, and you've got yourself a, a much safer environment. But you know the the key, Chris, to, that you pointed to is that now people are aware. You know now they are they're paying attention. Uh, to to the quality of the air. The, the other thing going on, and this has been a major trend, is just the ability to understand the quality of the air in, in real time. Uh, people used to not think about things like um, you know they, they care about the temperature, but maybe the relative humidity not so much. Uh, maybe the particulate matter, you know, PM two point five, PM ten, not so much. But you know now there's there's a greater uh, desire to understand. Also, you know, TVOCs, total volatile organic compounds, the particulates, contaminants, um, you know, and uh, all these different things that people didn't really care about before. And now suddenly there's awareness to that. And, and that's important because, you know, uh, I think it's the goal of everybody listening to the, this podcast to create and deliver better quality environments and safer environments for everybody.
0: And and just a quick follow up to that. Are you seeing more of your clients really kind of not so much shifting away from from what I'll call the, you know, the sustainable project, but more toward the improvement of indoor air quality?
2: Or or is it still kind of staying the same? Uh, well, they're not shifting away from it at all. If anything, they're kind of rolling it in and making it part of the okay. same same goals, um, you know, because if, if the goal of a sustainable project is to make the environment for people uh, in a building that, that has less impact, then, then this just fits right in. Um, you know the the idea of creating these healthy interiors May, maybe the one thing that's counter is if you are sending more air through a space uh, then that's more heat air that you need to heat and cool which has a, a slight energy impact mm-hmm. but you know the prevalent thinking is is if that's what it takes it's certainly worth the additional energy in order to create a better environment and, and lead and codes like that uh, take that into account you know the, the bottom line is you want to make healthy environments but you know the goal of sustainability is like that triple uh, legged stool that i mentioned before it's, it's not just saving resources but it's also making healthy environments and uh, you know so you have systems like lead that you know really codify that very well you know uh, lead is a framework our general approach when we start on a project is to uh, you know do the goal setting in order to see what the goals of the project want to be you know, from the point of view of the stakeholders uh, the owner, you know, what, what does success look like? And with that, you know, maybe there's a mission statement or a vision statement within the organization that may touch up, upon lead and sustainability or, or uh, energy efficiency or daylighting or healthy environments or giving everybody a window or carbon goals are now increasingly important. We want to make sure that we have a net zero ready or a a net positive building that's regenerative, you know, they they vary all over the place and there's no right answer because every organization is different. But our approach is to start with that and then try to come up with sustainability goals that match that. And sometimes it's within the form of a framework. It could be Energy Star, it could be Well Certification, it could be Lead Certification. And then from that come the goals and then from that come the strategies. And that's kind of how we unpack these unwieldy uh, sustainability goals and make them workable for for any enterprise.
1: We do have a lot of contractors that listen to the podcast, so I just wanted to hear your thoughts and opinions on on the construction side of things. How has that changed over the past couple of decades? And I can recall the early 2000s where Mike, your your good friend or mutual friend Mike Kuhn and I, went to the association board and said hey, we'd like to launch a green builders committee, you know, and get more sustainability minded within the association and it took us about two or three years to launch this. there was a lot of pushback and <laughs> so it's it's awesome to see the mind the mindset has changed a lot. but I just wanted to hear your thoughts on, on
2: um yeah absolutely i mean uh, you know first off contractors are essential partners in us we're we're not talking about an environment where a building is designed, and then the contractors finally get to see it. Generally, partnering up front, and when I mention these goal-setting sessions up front, it, it's great to have the contractors involved because the opinion of contractors regarding cost and regarding buildability is unbeatable, and you get it right away, which which is great. You're not hoping and, and guessing. Uh, but the, the 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 stance of contractors has really changed a lot. Um, you know, there's a lot more knowledge. Uh, and awareness, you know. So, for instance, uh, the, the not just the materials going into a project, but uh, you know what what uh, you know the, the the constitution of those materials, where they came from, what they're made of, what their uh, environmental attributes now, uh, you know, thanks to not just MSDS sheets, but uh, you know BPDOs and things like that there's a, a much greater awareness. So contractors are able to evaluate these things in real time, rather than saying, uh, "You know, here's our submittal, uh, hope, hope you don't reject it. And, and so that, that really has, has helped. And contractors also have a, a huge impact with, you know, and can contribute um, you know, with regards to uh, the, not just healthy materials, like we're just talking about low emitting materials and, and whether the materials are, are, are off-gassing, but also with regards to indoor uh, air quality, indoor environmental quality, what's what's in, you know, what what is in those particular materials, uh, also energy efficiency, uh, you know, how the building is built, what are the tolerances are there leaks or cracks or anything like that. And also with renewable energy. Um, you know, we're we're seeing a lot more uh, you know, renewable energy applications, uh, photovoltaics notably uh It just is where the industry is going because the cost per installed bought has plummeted so much that now we have essentially a grid parity where it costs as much to put in uh um uh, renewable energy as it does uh, you know fossil fuel for for the same cost so you know these things are all really what I've just told you about are what we call green jobs, you know whether your listeners know it or not. If you're working towards making more energy efficiency, and you're making, doing, working towards uh, renewable energy, those are green jobs. And you know, in Pennsylvania, the number of green jobs has reliably grown six to eight percent year over year over the last decade. So you know, it's one of the fastest growing components of any industry, much less the construction industry. So I, I really think it's it's the right way to go. And and your, the contractors and construction managers listening, um, you know, really need to be aware of that.
0: You mentioned material selection and how that plays into the net zero or net positive approach for, for the building owner. I'm curious, what, what do you look for in a, you know, and I'm error quoting it because people can only hear me and not see me, but <laughs> the sustainable product, you know, like let's just say hardwood floors, for example, like, or a flooring material. What do you look for that is in a sustainable product to meet the standards that you have at Evolve EA?
2: Well, that's a good question. Um, You know, I, I would couch that by saying, you know, first off, you know, what does, what is important to the project? Because you can have different goals and the different goals will prioritize different things about that hardwood floor. Is it just getting a building built for the cheapest first cost? Okay, that's a consideration. Is it, you know, you want a durability of 30, 40, 50 years, and you don't want to have to change the floor out? That's another consideration. Is it the uh, off-gassing from the material that might create toxins for people and might might, uh, compromise their performance? Um, That's another criteria. Uh, Is it the look of it? Is it the feel of having something natural like wood in your space that helps heighten your productivity? Um, Is it something like uh, embodied carbon, which is an increasingly important goal? We didn't talk about that a few years ago. Embodied carbon is the amount of energy that went into making the product in the first place. Uh, We're seeing a lot more in the industry talking about embodied carbon and having as little of it as possible. In that case, hardwood floor is an excellent option because it gives you, uh, compared to the uh, alternatives, um, you know, let's say vinyl, let's say concrete, let's say steel, um, you know, it, it gives you something with that has very little embodied energy, which is a good thing. And so you get all these benefits uh, accordingly. So as you can see, there's 10 different ways to answer your, your question, Chris. But, but, <laughs> but I can tell you that they come from the goals that are set forth by the owner. So if that goal setting is, is skillfully done, you can find an answer fairly quickly.
0: Th- thank you for that. And um, I, I appreciate that. One other question for you. Where, what are some trends that you're seeing in sustainable design, um, achieving net zero and, and the like? Um, the trends have to...
2: Uh, with regards to to those high performance uh, trends we would say are are that first off there's a lot more knowledge and understanding of it and uh that some clients are insisting upon it um you know uh, there's this uh, movement towards 2030 and trying to get as close to net zero as we can by 2030. uh the pennsylvania climate action plan uh you know calls for you know based on a 2005 baseline 26% 26% reduction by 2025, and then 80% reduction by 2050. And so now there's there's a lot more awareness about making sure that buildings uh, operate efficiently, and that if they once you get them to operate as efficiently as possible, that you can then look at renewable energy in order to um, uh, add energy to the building, and that's how you get to that positive. Basically, the approach is to reduce as much energy as necessary by virtue of how the building is designed, oriented, the systems that are within it. And then once you get to that point, then it becomes the culture of the people inside of it. You're making sure they're not leaving lights on and windows open and things like that. And so that can be automated. And then once you get that building as efficient as possible... You go from passive, then you go to active, and then you look to renewables, and that's what it can take to make a building that's net positive. Uh, I could have mentioned at the outset that the Phipps Center for Sustainable Landscapes was also a noteworthy project, because that one is a net positive living building, and it's been a national destination for for tourists ever since it, it was certified 10 years ago. So, you know, that net zero thinking is certainly a, a big change in, in the way that uh, buildings are sought now uh, with, with regards to uh, sustainability goals. It, it's hard to do. I, I wish I could say it's, it's easy and go out and, and do a net zero building today, but it, it does require a lot of planning and, and some investment up front. So, you know, it, it's uh, one of those things that that the industry will, will move you know, forward with. So, um, you know, that, that's one of the big changes that we're seeing, uh, in, in construction moving forward is these, uh, uh, these ambitious energy goals. Uh, we talked about the health goals. You know, that, that's another thing. There's an awareness there and that you know, a lot of people want, want that as well. Right. Um, and then frameworks with regards to, to wellness. Uh, yeah, I mentioned LEED, which is kind of comprehensive, which is what makes that a very useful system. But there's a, a framework related to wellness, and you know the the idea being uh, not just what kind of energy uh, environmental impact is the building having, but what kind of impact is the building having on me and my health. And that that's that's a big change. For instance, the the lights over your head right now, it's not just how much energy are they using, but healthy is the light coming out of them and is it exciting your eyeballs and, and giving you, making you alert or is the glare too much that it's tiring you out and, 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 you know, making you, uh, unfocused, you know, that, that kind of thing.
1: I'm glad you mentioned Phipps. I, I love that place. I take my kids there whenever we visit Pittsburgh. So it's, it's beautiful.
2: I'm um, doing great work and they, they yeah. can't be green enough. They keep yep. going. Yeah, it's absolutely. a wonderful thing.
1: It is. Yeah. You, you kind of touched on trends, wondering if, uh, if you could quickly maybe talk about some challenges as far as achieving those those goals that we have, the 2030 and the 2050 goals.
2: Uh, yeah, um, there are challenges. That, you know, like, like I just said, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Um, but I also don't want to make it sound like it's not possible. And what, what you really need is, is a goal for the project that everybody can get behind. Uh, the key to that is the project owner, you know, whoever is directing the the, the project, and, and of course the money towards that project, uh, has to agree uh, to to this particular uh, goal. You know. So when you have that, everything else can come into play. Um, but the the uh, challenges probably are not so much on the capabilities of the contractors or or the intelligence or the awareness or anything like that. They they probably have to do with comparing to the baseline which is conventional which is how a building would normally be built using rules of thumb is that you have this tendency of like let's just go back to business as usual let's just do what we've always done Uh, you know that way nobody gets sued that way everything is done quickly that way we don't have to answer any questions that way we can just get this building done quickly and what you're trying to do with sustainability is is change that a little bit where you're questioning it and you're trying to figure out approaches that uh, you might not normally do well whenever you ask anybody to rethink what they do uh, you tend to either get um, a little bit of pushback or you want more fee or you're entitled to more fee because now you're using energy modeling and things like that so you know generally it costs a little bit more to do these things and that's that's where the problem comes in um, you know that that it costs more than a conventional building to do Now, naturally, we look at that additional cost as an investment like any other. It has a return on itself. It can be a triple bottom line return in the sense that uh, not only can it pay for itself over time, because you usually do have an ROI, but uh, the ROI can be uh, by virtue of how much energy you're saving, but also by virtue of how much healthier and more productive you know, the building is, you know, think of it in terms of like a school where you're making environments where the kids have fresh air and fresh daylight, or or maybe even a resilient building where you're able to uh, use um, natural ventilation and daylighting more hours of the day so that if there's a grid emergency of some kind, you're able to continue using that building. These things are all returns on investment that are not necessarily the way that a, a banker might look at it. And so that's why the goal setting uh, in, in terms of what the owner wants is so important.
0: Mark, I have to thank you for, for joining us today. And and this has been a really, really enlightening conversation because I think you really explained sustainability and, the, you know, the Evolve EA approach very, very well. I think our, our listeners will agree with me and and you can, by, by all means, you know, reply in the comments there of the of the uh, discussion. But um I, thank you so much for joining us. and uh, as as a listener, um, I encourage you to check us out on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram and visit our website at buildingpapodcast dot for past episodes and this episode and future episodes. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, John, and we'll talk again some other time. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, always great.
0: Thank you for joining the Building PA Podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.